Welcome to the Negotiation and Conflict Management podcast series. I'm glad I know that now. This series is brought to you by the NAC team. NAC stands for Negotiation and Conflict. NAC is made up of a team of scholars who are passionate about the teaching, research, and practice of negotiation and conflict management and all related topics. We offer you this podcast series to highlight the work of global academic thought leaders who have a knack for negotiating and managing conflict. We hope you enjoy this episode. I'm Min Hong Tsai, your podcast host for today. Our podcast guest today is Professor Nicholas Hayes. He's a faculty member at the Broad College of Business at Michigan State University. His research investigates the psychology of hierarchy, specifically how power and status hierarchy affect individuals' experiences and group processes. Welcome, Nicholas Hayes, today's guest. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's begin with our first question. Could you please summarize your findings in the three papers and share the take-home message with our audience? Sure. Okay, so um, I guess I'll go in chronological order. The first paper was the status conflict in groups paper. There were really three objectives in the paper. First, to document that status conflict exists and and understand what it looks like. So the take-home message there in terms of what status conflict looks like, it's it's structural. Status conflicts are structural because they're about the hierarchy of the group. Uh, because of that, they're particularly competitive and zero-sum. Uh, they implicate the whole team, right? So if one person's status changes, that often means that someone else's status changes as well. Maybe I move up and that person moves down. The second objective was to introduce a measure of status conflict. So there were measures for other forms of conflict, and we introduced a new measure for status conflict. And the third objective was to understand the consequences of status conflict. So the take-home message really of the paper is that status conflicts do exist. So people do have disputes about the status hierarchy in their teams. And they tend to be detrimental for performance because they are competitive and people tend to share less information. Um, and they can also undermine the effectiveness of task conflict, which is you know arguments over the ideas and the task itself. So when status conflict co-occurs with task conflict, task conflict tends to uh, reduce information sharing and harm the performance of the team. The second paper is uh, about power and status hierarchies and how they can induce competitiveness in group members. And the take-home message there is sort of building on the first paper that status inequality, status differentiation in teams increases team members' competitiveness. And it does this more so than power differentiation and more so than we, we also compared it to a control condition in several of our experiments. And the reason for that is that status is perceived to be more mutable than power. So people negotiate their status sort of continuously in their interactions with other people as they make claims about their abilities or what they've done for the group, uh, you know, relative, you know, I've done more than you have, for example, as a way of increasing my status. And so because status is on is this, a product of this ongoing negotiation and is seen as mutable or malleable by team members, it tends to make people focus on their self-interest and more competitive in terms of 
how they interact with people and even how they allocate resources. Uh, they'll be more selfish with resources, taking more for themselves as opposed to giving it to the group. And then the third paper is looking at also at power and status differentiation. The finding here is that because status is competitive and makes people more competitive, status differentiation can override the benefits of power differentiation. So in the paper, we crossed orthogonally status differentiation and power differentiation, power being more you know, authority and control over resources, status being the level of respect people have in the eyes of their team members. And we found that they interact. And specifically, the pattern of that interaction is power differentiation, or you can think about it as a command and control or authority differences, can be good for team performance when it's on its own. When we all see each other as equal in status, uh, it's okay. You know, we're, we're okay. We're comfortable having someone be the boss, someone sort of telling the team what to do and making decisions for the team, making final decisions for the team. Uh, when power differentiation is combined with status differentiation, so both are present, the boss is not only in control but also more respected than the middle managers who are more respected than the you know analysts or entry-level people, for example. But that tends to be bad for teams. Um, and uh, sort of going back to the status conflict paper, that that environment tends to encourage people to withhold the information rather than share their information. And because we're withholding information as a team and teams are supposed to bring different perspectives together, we end up performing worse. So uh, teams did much better when they had power differentiation on its own than when they had power differentiation combined with status differentiation. Thank you for sharing your insights. How did you and your co-authors come up with the ideas for these articles? Could you please give us some background about the generation of these ideas? Sure. So Status Conflict was my very first research project started actually a little bit before my first year of grad school. So, you know, Corinne Bandersky is the lead author and uh, she approached me, um, you know, had this idea. So the origination of the idea, as I understand it, was based on her dissertation. So she did a qualitative dissertation and she had this data on teams and noticed that, uh, you know, she was interested in conflict. She noticed that the conflicts, they weren't, they, there seemed to be something more than just the idea you know, that we were having a conflict about the task or about our relationship, that there was something more structural going on. And that was in her dissertation. And so at UCLA, she had some qualitative data on MBA study groups. And that's kind of where I entered the picture. And we worked on that together, really going through those transcripts of the MBA study group meetings and looking at, okay, so what kind of conflicts are they having? You know, yes, we saw task conflicts and relationship conflicts and process conflicts, but, you know, it, it became clear that there were also status conflicts going on there too. So that, that paper started really with her dissertation, but then in earnest with the qualitative data that she had collected at UCLA. And you know, once we identified status conflicts and we were able to consistently code for them in qualitative data, then we, you know, worked on the measure uh, to to be able to do more quantitative research. And then we use that um, in the third study in the paper. The, the second paper looking at status differentiation and power differentiation and how status leads to competition or competitiveness among team members was my interest really, as, as we were working on the status conflict paper, I was really interested in, okay, so, so that paper documents that status conflicts exist, but I was interested in who instigates status conflicts and why. You know, going back to the qualitative data that's in that paper, we noticed, okay, there's, it seems like when people, when there's relative status equality, people tend to respect each other a fair amount. There's not a lot of status conflicts. It's really when there's status differences in teams that, that people send, tend to be, these teams tended to be engaging 
in status conflict. And so, you know, I, I became interested in that and that became part of my dissertation actually was to look at who's initiating status conflicts. And as that project evolved, we generalized or broadened out from just looking at initiating status conflicts to people being more competitive in general. And eventually the, the reviewers asked, well, how is this different? Uh, we, the finding was more teams with greater status differentiation have more competitive behaviors than teams with status equality. Reviewers actually asked, well, how is this different from power? You know, if, if it's not different from power, it's not that interesting. And so we started thinking about, okay, well, how, how does status and power differ? There was a couple of other papers published, not by us, but others looking at uh, differences between power and status. And so we started thinking about that in teams and, you know, decided that, okay, well, we know that status is negotiated, it's more malleable, mutable, and that, that might be why it's sort of unique in creating more competition or competitiveness relative to power differentiation. And then the third paper looking at crossing power differentiation with status differentiation really was building on the second paper. And, you know, thinking about the second paper looks at status differentiation compared to power differentiation. But the reality is these two hierarchies tend to coexist, certainly in most organizations. You know, people with more power tend to have more status as well. People with less power tend to have less status. People with less power tend to have less status. And so we started thinking about perhaps these things interact. So, so really, if you look at the progression, one paper sort of builds on the paper that came before it, which, which I guess makes sense. And the other sort of impetus for the third paper, I guess, is there's a you know, longstanding tension in the team's literature about whether hierarchy is good or bad for performance. And so, uh, you know, there's plenty of research that would suggest it should be good for performance because it helps teams coordinate, but also bad for performance because, um, you know, create, can create conflict and people don't always like being at the bottom of the hierarchy, for example. And so we were trying to resolve that tension as well. We thought maybe the, the difference between power differentiation, status differentiation could be one of the keys to answering this question about whether hierarchy is, is good or bad for performance. Thank you for sharing the background regarding the studies. For your paper regarding status conflict, you use both qualitative and quantitative methods. Why did you use this approach? I, I think the answer to that really goes back to the origination of the project. Right? Corinne's background is qualitative research. That's what she did uh, for her dissertation. And so that really reflects, I think, that approach really reflects her approach, you know, starting with qualitative data to really understand the phenomenon and then moving, you know, using that to help develop some theorizing through the grounded theory approach and then testing that theorizing more quantitatively later on in the paper. I also think it's helpful or was helpful because, uh, because we were documenting a new phenomenon, right? So, you know, people had already studied a couple of uh, a decade earlier, more task conflict, relationship conflict, et cetera. So we're introducing a new phenomenon. And so I, I think qualitative research was particularly appropriate there to really describe it in great detail about what it looks like. And, you know, the paper has examples of from the teams, the teams of MBA study groups, so that you can see, you know, it's, it's pretty apparent just from reading through those trans very short snippets of the team's meetings that, you know, person X and person Y were clearly having a status conflict, right? They weren't talking about the task. They weren't really talking about their relationship. They were talking about their level of status in the group based on their background and the example that I'm thinking of. And so, you know, I think qualitative research is uniquely able to describe, especially new phenomena in, in a significant amount of detail. So people can really get a, a very concrete understanding of what it would look like to have a status conflict in this case. Similarly, I have a question regarding the method of the other papers. For your papers about status versus power differentiation and the interactive effects of power differentiation and status differentiation, 
you focused on only quantitative methods with different studies. Why did you choose this approach over other methods, such as a qualitative method to study the topics? Yeah, I, I think that goes to you know to some extent we could leverage, although we don't in the paper, but I, we could leverage some of the qualitative, some of the things that I had seen in the qualitative data that we used in the status conflict paper. So, so some of those, some of the insights gleaned there appear in the theorizing. But at the end of the day, I, I guess that my it's more of a function of my training. You know, I, I trained, my, although I did that qualitative study in the status conflict paper, most of my training and most of my publications are quantitative. In addition to Corinne Bandersky, I worked with Noah Goldstein, who's more of an experimentalist. And so, uh, you know, I really appreciate experimental design. And, you know, it, it just seemed like, okay, we are documenting new findings, but not necessarily a new phenomenon. And so we were able to, without, well, with the benefit of the qualitative data from the status conflict paper in mind, but without using a qualitative study in those papers specifically, generate hypotheses theoretically that then we could test, uh, you know, because we had those hypotheses that we were able to test those quantitatively as opposed to being more exploratory with a qualitative study. Thanks for listening to part one. Please be sure to listen to part two to learn even more. You don't want to miss it. On behalf of our NAC team, Deborah Tsai, Michael Gross, Jennifer Parlamis, Laura Reese, and Ming Hong Tsai, thank you for listening. For more information about this and every episode, you can check out the podcast notes on the NAC website. There you can find additional sources and links to material cited in each episode. Please tell a friend about our podcast, and we hope you will join us next time for another fascinating discussion about a topic you'll be glad to know about.